Amen. Thank you. You might be seated. I remember as if it were yesterday the experience that I experienced from the sounding of the alarm in a house fire south of Lakeland. And in reality, I got to the emergency room because the chief of police of Mulberry, I administered to him and ministered to his family. He called me up and said, Reverend, you're probably going to need to go now immediately to the emergency room there in Lakeland. That's when the emergency room was over on the uh, south uh, east side of the hospital there. I got there, and of course, uh, the ambulance arrived. And as a result of the fire, happened to be two young children that perished in that fire. I went back, was there before any of the family members, and looked up, and I've shared this story once before. And the mom of one of those children ran across the parking lot and grabbed me. We'd actually won her and her family to the Lord Jesus Christ. She had all boys. The latest child was a little boy. She grabbed me. Her fingernails entered into my flesh as she cried, tell me he's all right. Just please tell me he's all right. What do you say? What words are there? That was a low, low, low moment. It was a moment that nothing made sense. I could have straightened my back up and say, hey, well, the Bible says she just wanted to know the answer to one question. Tell me he's all right. I held her in my arms as she wept and wept and wept because the reality of the matter, she knew that in the natural, her baby boy was not all right. In the supernatural, she knew that he had entered into the presence of the Lord. That's a low moment. That's a moment when there is no answer to the questions that people ask. There are other questions because I dealt today with two individuals, two different requests from family members, one with pancreatic cancer, and the latest stage that you can be in before it literally takes one's life. Pray, they said, that God could turn it down. What hope do you have? Short of a miracle, we have no hope. Short of the healing power of Jesus Christ, there is no hope. I had another situation, similar story. Unless God intervenes, there is no hope. We all know what it's like to have a situation that faces us that we don't have hope, that we cannot figure a solution that will be the answer to the problem. And we know that that is the desire of the enemy of our soul. The Bible says the devil roaming to and fro throughout the earth, seeking whom he may devour. What is his goal? Is You know what? When you have no hope, you can be living physically, but dead emotionally. When there is no hope, why get up tomorrow? Why go to work? Why take a step forward with no hope? No matter what I do, I wind up in the same place all the time with no hope. There is no rainbow. There is no pot of gold at the end of the rainbow without hope. I have no relationships that's worth living for. Nothing makes sense. You find yourself in a desolate situation, and you think, why, God? Where's the answer to all of this? And then along comes somebody who says, oh, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things, the things that really matter unto you will be added unto you. And in the midst of your desperation, you're wondering, how is that possible? We dedicated nine children tonight. I can tell you every single one of them have a separate DNA. 
a separate DNA that no man can describe or understand. We just know that every person on the universe is different. And you ask God how. And only God is able to do that because that's his infinite ability to be creative. And we understand that. In the Old Testament, we find God's people, the Israelites, in trouble. They stayed in trouble all the time. Most of the trouble that the Israelites had they created. Amen? How many have ever been in trouble? It was your fault, the trouble that came your way. Your fault. Boy, howdy. Have I been there? Have I been there? But our text gives us hope tonight. It's found out of Isaiah, the 54th chapter, and it's extremely important. And here's what that hope is. It says that the future that you have in your desolate place or in your place of question or in your place of apprehension or in your place when health is declining, or in your place when things aren't quite going your way and dreams have been dashed and you don't feel good emotionally or physically or spiritually, and it takes everything within you to take another step forward every day of your life, God brings good news. And He says it, and it is so simple. Your future, absolutely with God, is brighter than the present moment that you are facing. But we know to get to that target of that future, to get to hope again, to get to the place where you feel like being renewed, to get to the place where life makes sense again, to get to the place where you feel like smiling again, to get to the place where, where your mind is not foggy anymore, that it seems to be clear there's some work that needs to be done. And God speaks to the weary saints, but He says, hey, You've got to rise up and join me, and let's work together. I'm reminded of the story called Mad Anthony Slams the Door. Theodore Roosevelt called Anthony Wayne, Brigadier General at 34, the greatest field general that America has ever produced. They called him Mad Anthony. His name was Wayne, of course. With the British encamped at Germantown, George Washington held one of his inevitable councils of war. George Washington did. And Wayne was all for attacking without delay. The enemy's there, let's go get them. But most of the other officers sat around the table offering innumerable excuses for holding back. Now's not the time. Timing is not right. And when all the dissenting votes were in, Wayne turned or Washington turned to Wayne, sitting quietly in the corner, reading a book, and said, what would you say, Mad Anthony? He took his book, slammed it shut, threw it down on the table, and rose and glaringly defiant into the eyes of all the others. He said, I say nothing, sir. I'd fight. Therein is the answer to regaining territory that the enemy would like to keep you from making an admission to say, I'm not going to sit here and take this anymore. I'm not just going to sit idly by. I'm going to rise up and with whatever energy is in me, whatever ability I have intellectually, whatever hope that I have spiritually, I want you to know I'm going to give it one last big effort. And I'm believing that when I take my step of faith, that the hand of God is going to touch me and I'm going to go from here to there in super sonic speed to accomplish God's will in my life. 
So here we know in this text tonight of Isaiah 54, desperate but not doomed. Say that with me, desperate but not doomed. Isaiah 54, verse 1, single barren woman, you who were never born of child, burst into song, shout for joy, you who are never in labor, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband, says the Lord. What did he mean? More are those of the desolate woman, one of the symbols of a non-Jewish person, Gentiles, was a desperate, a desolate woman. Here's what he says. Though there are many, 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 many Jews who have husbands, who have the promise, who have the favor, there are more non-Jews that's going to rise up under the covering of the redemptive power of God, and they're going to be more numerous than the Jewish population ever thought about. You know who that is? That's you, and that's me, that's his church, that's our nation, and that's the touch and the power of God. You might say, I don't have any problems. I've never been desperate for anything. Live a little longer. Just live a little longer. This portion of Scripture relates to the nation of Israel. It relates to the church, the church, the modern church today. The nation, Israel, was under Babylonian rule. Couldn't be much more difficult. You read about the rule there in Egypt and how that was. The Babylonians just took over. They said to the Israelites, no hope for you. You're not, going to, you're not going to make it anymore. You're not going to be in control of anything. Matter of fact, everything you own belongs to us. We, we took you off in battle, and you do not count. Do you understand? And they embedded that in the mind of the young Jewish children. You don't count. You are under Babylonian rule. And the children thought, what happened to our Jewish heritage? And the Babylonians began to beat the children down, the little Jewish children to believing, hey, you are nothing, you are nobody. But that's not strange to us. I've had people tell me that personally. Amen. I've had the enemy sit on my shoulder and tell me, you're about the dumbest brickhead that's ever been on the planet. You ever had the devil talk to you that way? I'm, I'm here to tell Always gets right up here on your shoulder. He tells you, buddy, that mistake that you just made, it will be to your end. You don't have any hope. It is all over. You make another decision like that, that step of faith, you're going to be left out there high and dry. And that was the subservient power the Babylonians had over the Jewish people. All of their land and their assets were under control. Isaiah relates this to a woman. The hazardous situation, the traumatic situation to this barren woman. Number one, she was without a husband. Back in those days, husbands were important. Let me say it again, and some of you ladies might want to just say a nice little feminine amen. Back in those days, husbands were important. And some of you ladies might want to say, and they are today. Back in those days, husbands were important, but makes me feel confident, I can tell you that. She was without a husband which meant this, she had no relationship. She had no companionship. Do you know how valuable relationship and companionship is? No one with whom she could share her thoughts. 
No one that she could talk to to get 50,000 words a day in. That's the average words a woman has to speak to be fulfilled. She was unfulfilled. Couldn't get the words in. No one would listen. And she was this, a solitary, solitary widow. Here it is. You don't count. What did I do? You just couldn't bear children. No man would marry a woman who could not be fertile. Here's number two. She was barren. She can't produce or reproduce life. It was under self-commendation, condemnation. She feels worthless and guilt-ridden. It's my fault. It must be my fault. She feels that her purpose in life is lost and her contribution to society is nil. And she's been reduced to a state of frail and weak humanity because we know that women were born to reproduce in that day, to provide life and substance. We know that, but she was nothing. It was like, Pastor, please tell me that my child is okay. I was frail and I was weak and I had no answer, but I had a dilemma of a mom whose heart had been torn out of her chest and it was bleeding profusely, and she wanted to hear a word of hope. If you've ever been to a place where you feel hopeless, you know that it sucks the breath out of you. It gets quiet. She feels that her purpose in life is lost, and there's no reason for her to live she is reduced to that state of weak humanity, tears of remorse, tears of pain, tears of rejection fall down her cheeks. Why? She feels that her purpose is lost. Isaiah reflects that Israel felt that way in bondage. And it also relates to the church that some people may feel today, wow, the church doesn't have any hope. But God says, here's what I know. I see every tear. I see every heartbreak. I know every difficulty. I know every hopeless situation. And he said, I still, in spite of your tears and in spite of your emotion of hopelessness, I still have a plan for your life. I still have a future for you. I still have a plan that will be enacted. I will reach down and pick you up out of that hopelessness, and I will set your feet on a solid ground. All of a sudden, God steps upon the scene, and he says, listen, O barren woman, sing, O barren woman. Break forth in singing. Your desolation will end, and the Lord our Father shall be your husband. He shall be your husband. David said in Psalms 30, verse 5, weeping may remain for a night but rejoicing comes in the morning that lady had all boys but not long after that she became pregnant again and the most beautiful little blonde-haired blue-eyed baby girl was born into their home and i remember seeing her look into that baby's eyes we'd always prayed for a little girl Look what God has done and blessed our family with. God knows what he's doing, friend. You see, you and I are going to face desperate situations with or without God. 
we're going to face desperate situations with the church or without the church. I just have a sneaky feeling, according to Scripture, it's better to face them with God than without God. It's better to face them with the hope that we can have in the Lord Jesus Christ. God has a divine ordained purpose for his church, our church, and your life. And here's what he says happened in Revelation, the seventh chapter, verse 17. For the lamb, that's Jesus, for the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to the springs of living water and God shall wipe away every tear from their eye in every hopeless situation here is the bottom line for that point no matter how hopeless it might be God still has a plan to wipe your tears away take your hand and lead you to better places if you lean on him and not your own understanding say amen Amen. number two perk up turn to your neighbor and say perk up listen up some of you say to that person wake up How many's ever heard a person snore in church? May I see your hand? Come on, get your hands up real high. You ever heard a person snore in church? Over here, I see that hand. I see that hand. How many are sitting near the person that snores? May I see your hand? Right up here. God bless you. Keep an eye on them. Perk up. Isaiah 54, 2. Enlarge the place of your tent. We've heard this scripture. Stretch your tent curtains wide and don't hold back. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. An old rancher, an old farmer, try to say it like he said it to his sons. Now, my boys, said the philosophical farmer to his sons, don't ever speculate on a gamble or just sitting around and awaiting for something to turn up. You might just as well go out there and sit on a rock in the middle of the pasture with a pail twixt your legs, waiting for a cow to back up to you to be milked. <laughs> How many's ever milked a cow? I have lots of times. They don't back up to you to get milked. Matter of fact, they have a tail that if you don't treat them fairly and squarely, they will zap you with that tail. Ever been there? The old farmer said this, if you're waiting to perk up when you have reason to perk up, it's like sitting out in the middle of the pasture on the rock waiting for the cow to come back up to you for you to milk them. He said, that ain't going to happen. You're going to have to perk up and make a decision, he says, with God's presence. Brings you new purpose, a plan of restoration. How will you do it, God? How will you ever get us out of this? How will we ever recover? The promise of God will always be fulfilled. The promise of God will always be fulfilled. The nation of Israel in Isaiah 35, verse 1 and 2, the desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It will burst into bloom and it will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. But how in the middle of all this desolation will that ever happen? Number one, God's word never lies. Get into this word. Let it be a part of your life to the church. He said the church is not going to be desolate. 
You think society might turn its back on the church and you think those in power and those in influence might look down on the church. Let me just tell you something. The devil's looked down on the church his entire life until he fell right out of heaven. Now he has to look up at the church. The bottom line, here's what the Bible says. I'll build my church and the gates of hell or Hades will not overcome it. The Christ, the devil tried to tempt him. John 2 verse 18 and 19. Then the Jews demanded of him, what miraculous sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? And Jesus answered them, hey, just wait around boys. He said, you destroy this temple and I will rise, raise it again in three days. Just hang out. And you know what? That did happen. They did destroy the Christ of the temple. He died and went into the tomb, but in three days, that temple rose again, fulfilled the plan and the will of God. That's how, that's the power of God. Faith is only manifested when we perk up and we move from routine existence and begin to plan for the promise of God's blessing. And God's purpose in your life will never be fulfilled Unless a plan is prepared and executed, how are we going to do it, God? God said through Isaiah to the people, get ready, prepare for fulfillment of the purpose and promise. So while I am here, I can sulk and I can moan and I can be hopeless and I can be living but emotionally dead. I can complain. I can have a foggy mind. I can feel like there is no answer that will ever give me relief. Or I can do what Isaiah told the people of God to do in Babylonian captivity. He said, I want you to go out there and enlarge your tent and open the curtains. Before the manifestation of the blessing, he tells him, get busy and enlarge the tent. Prepare for an increase. Develop your vision. Look through eyes of faith. Prepare to receive everyone because abundance is on the way. Can you believe that? Number two, he says, lengthen your cords. Commit yourself to greater responsibilities. Be mature in your actions. Carry the weight of adversity well and be prepared for the larger task at hand. Paul says, about the heart of God toward his promise for you. He says, make the commitment in 1 Corinthians 2 verse 9. However, as it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those whom love him. Amen. Your eye, your ear, and your mind has yet to comprehend what God has in the future of his church. Lengthen your stakes. Lengthen your stakes. Prepare not to be shaken. Dig deeply into the resolve of God and make the foundation sure. I was watching a program on the Weather Channel, I don't know, Friday night, I think Friday night, and it was the hurricane that went into Tuscaloosa. And uh, in a relationship to that, several years ago, a huge, huge hurricane that destroyed over one-third of the city just missed the University of Alabama by just several hundred yards. And we saw all the students, they replayed all the students that were in apartment buildings in that area. And they were watching it on television and, and just keeping their eye on it. And as they were keeping their eye on it, they weren't noticing the winds outside began to pick up. And so when they realized it, one went to the door and realized, wow, 
He walked outside. He watched some other students run and go into a cellar in another building. And when he saw them, he thought, why? One guy turned around and he said, I don't see anything. He said, look behind you. The tornado is behind you. He turned and he looked. And he thought, we do not have time to get to the cellar. Three boys and a gal ran to the bathroom on that two-story apartment. They're on the bottom story. It's cramped quarters. They began to say, hey, man, I want you to know I love you. Hey, buddy, I love you too. They all felt we are going to die. The traumatic situation that life in a moment, their life was going to end. One gal among the bunch. The true story, those three guys did survive. They said, we were picked up in the air, and one of them said it was like being in a blender with two-by-fours, brick, steel, and nails, and being tossed around in the air. They all lost consciousness, many stitches, broken bones. The precious girl, a beautiful girl, perished and did not make it. Their story was, it was unbelievable. We didn't know we were going to face this kind of circumstance. You see, had they paid attention, they could have lengthened their cords and said, we need to prepare better for this moment. But we never think that what happens to other people will ever happen to us, do we? We never think we'll find ourselves in that hopeless mess. Before that happens, you have to prepare, what am I going to do if it happens? And so we know that Isaiah says, lengthen your cords, commit yourself to greater responsibility, be mature in your actions. It is written, no eye is seen and no ear is heard. Understand that, strengthen your stakes and prepare not to be shaken. Drive them deep, dig deeply into the resolve of God and make the foundation sure. The time to fight the battle of adversity and hopelessness is not necessarily in the middle of it. It's be prepared to fight it before it ever comes your way. Stand on the rock of Jesus Christ. Finally, expect a miracle. O barren woman who doesn't count, who doesn't matter, who has no hope. Isaiah's word from God says, your nation and the group like you, the Gentiles, will be far greater than the population of the Jews. Isaiah 30 or 54, for you will spread abroad to the right end and to the left, and your descendants will possess nations, and they will resettle the desolate cities. Fear not, for you will not be put to shame. Neither feel humiliated, for you will not be disgraced, but you will forget the shame of your youth and the reproach of your widowhood. You will remember no more, for your husband is your maker, whose name is the Lord of hosts, and your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel, who is called the God of all the earth. Words of wisdom and advice and encouragement to those desolate people, God declares that once you were in tune to his purpose and now we have developed a plan and we are prepared for increase and God's divine anointing says, don't be afraid. You will forget your pain of your youth. 
God will stand beside you, almighty at his name, and blessing are in his wings. So you know what, as church people, as individuals who, who may be saying, I'm, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, and maybe you're not a committed follower. Maybe you're just one that's just kind of haphazard about it. Can I encourage you, strengthen your stakes. Lengthen your cords. Open the curtains on your spiritual tent. Make it wide. And be prepared that once you make the kind of commitment that seeks first the kingdom of God, you'll see the favor in God begin to flow into your life because God has more supply than you have need. Let me say that again. He has more supply than you have need. And so we find in 2 Chronicles 7, 14, if you, if my people who are called by my name will humble yourself, pray, seek face, and turn from your wicked way, then will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and will heal their land. That's the purpose of God is manifested through you. Do you believe that? Do you honor that? Do you love that? The plan of God will be executed in the church. I'm not without power. I have power. Luke 10, 19, I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. If you believe that, say amen. Isaiah wanted the desolate widow to understand that the dawning of a new day was upon the horizon for them. And I'm here to tell you, when God says that the Jewish people belong to him, no enemy is going to be able to approach Israel and the Jewish population and expect to have any hope whatsoever. They might be in a small little section of the peninsula that we call Israel in the Middle East, but there is a hovering presence of a Jehovah God over them, and God will prevail and will provide for that little nation of his people. Here's another, Revelation 3.21, to him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. God has a throne. Finally, stand to your feet, on your feet. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Say it with me. Stand firm. Say it again. Stand firm. Stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord. In other words, let God be a part of your everyday life because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Your labor is not in vain. In other words, he said there are a lot of things you can engage in, but they can be gone by a downturn market. They can be gone when somebody else steals it. They can be gone and it can burn to the ground. But he said every little thing you do in the Lord is, is insured by the promise of the Holy Spirit. God protects his investment that he's made in you. Heavenly Father, thank you for this moment. Thank you for your presence and your power, your word. We pray in the name of the Lord for some person or people who might be listening online that's had a tough way to go just this past week or last month or last year. Or some phenomenal tragedies hit their family or they've lost more than they've gained financially. Or there's a sickness that's been pronounced over them. The doctor has said it's a tough situation. It'll be hard to beat and hard to win. But we know this, Heavenly Father. If you have a plan, we need to prepare and open the tent curtains wide. 
lengthen the cords, drive the stakes down, and be prepared for the promise that says you are able. You've given us power not to be weaklings. You've given us power over death itself, authority over snakes and scorpions, authority over the powers of the enemy. Ephesians 6 tells us that. We believe it. So for those in this room right now whose heart may not be totally in tune with you, and maybe they've just kind of been skipping and jumping around and haven't securely landed on saying, you know what, I'm going to serve God. You know what, I'm going to be the kind of follower that I want my kids to be able to look at and say, you know what, my daddy was committed to the Lord Jesus through the church. Every time the doors were open, we were there. I'd hear him pray. I'd hear my mama pray. I saw them pray together. And boy, howdy, I had a heritage that's unbelievable. And God, there's some in this room that look back at their past and they think, what a mess. What a mess. Well, your word said to us tonight, you will forgive the sin of our youth. You'll forgive the sin of our immaturity. You'll forgive the sin of those things that we did when we were not mature, not to the place where we understood totally what the consequence was of being lost in eternity forever. You said, hey, I'll take care of those things. Now here's what I want you to do. Have a purpose in your life. So God, we thank you for this moment together. I want to ask everybody just to repeat this prayer after me. Would you do that? And then we're going to open the altars. Here we go. Let's all repeat it together. Dear Jesus, Dear Jesus I, surrender to you. I surrender to you. I ask you, I ask you for complete forgiveness. complete forgiveness. Here's my heart. Here's my heart. I've, made I've made mistakes. I have fallen. I have, fallen. I have messed things I've up. Messed things I, have up. I have hurt people. I have been unkind. I've been, unkind. I've been rude. I've, been rude. I've let my anger get away from me. But tonight, I'm asking you, restore me to good spiritual health. Come into my heart, purify my mind, cleanse me from the inside out. I declare tonight by faith that you are my Lord and I am your child. In Jesus' name, amen. Put your hands together and let's thank God for that moment, would you? We're going to sing this song and give you a chance to respond. In James, the fifth chapter, you've heard me say it. He says, any sick of you or, or any of you in trouble, he should pray. He said, any of you that's sick, he said, call on the elders of the church and pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. And the Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Amen. If you need prayer, listen carefully, friend. If you need prayer and the Holy Spirit's pulling on your heart, why we sing, you come here. And when we're here in the altar, then we'll give the benediction. Stay with me a few more minutes. Here we go, waiting on you to be responsive. Would you do that? Here we are. <laughs>